0: Thank you so much, worship team. Great to see you all this morning. Thanks for choosing to worship with us here. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you have been shocked by God? When is the last time that you have been shocked, really deeply shocked, by realizing something about God or something about his heart that has moved you out of what you thought was always true? When's the last time that you've been shocked by what you've seen of God? Now, here's what I might think. If it's true that God is what we call omniscient, omnipresent, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, if he's all-everything, if God's over here and we're not all everything, one would think that along the way, that a relatively normal experience for us as people who are trying to connect with this God who is all everything would be that the limits of our knowledge would bump up against the infiniteness of His knowledge, and we would say, Man, what was I thinking? I used to think this way, but I've seen God. Wow. My passions and my heart and my compassion, limited by my abilities and my own experiences, bumping up against the compassion and wideness of God's mercy and seeing, wow. Like, this is disorientingly amazing and large and all at the same time highly uncomfortable. Wow. Like, when is the last time that you've been shocked? by God in light of what we bring to the table. And this morning, as we come to the conclusion of this series called For God So Loved the Terrorist, this book study on Jonah, I might suggest to you that our little prophet friend Jonah is actually in that boat of all of a sudden realizing something deep and profound in him that I believe something he sees in God that is truly shocking and is truly disorienting. And here's the thing about shocking and disorienting things. They're very uncomfortable. And so with uncomfortable things, if you're anything like me, if I had the choice between doing something uncomfortable and something comfortable, clearly we're going to generally choose what's comfortable unless there's a good reason to move over here. And I might suggest to you this morning that what we see in the character of God if we can be, if we can be brutally honest, it might really shock us this morning to see the wideness of God's mercy, the reaches of His compassion, because I believe it blew Jonah away. Part of the reason I believe it blew Jonah away is because this book, this amazing book and this story that we've been tracking for now, seven weeks, actually has no legitimate conclusion. Because the book ends with a question hanging in the balance. And I think Jonah is too blown away to even begin to attempt to put words to an answer. And inasmuch as the question is left unanswered, the reality is the book is written for you and for me to answer that question. So, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the little book of Jonah, this four chapter story in the middle of the Old Testament toward the end of the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you. That, by the way, is our gift to you. We'd be glad to have you take that with you this morning. If you don't own a Bible, we believe, as you heard already this morning, Kevin um, said it well, believe in the authority of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, believe that the Scriptures help us to see God and connect with him, uh, teach us about ourselves in this process as well. So Jonah uh, chapter four is where we're going to be. If you were with us here last week, you were uh, tracking with us uh, on the first nine verses. So I'm just going to summarize those. If you can come with me on some of that, and then we'll hit verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 in particular here this morning. So let's jump into Jonah chapter four, beginning at verse one again. So here's what's happening. Jonah is um, seeing that God is, has been compassionate on the Ninevites who should have deserved God's wrath. And he, if you know the story now, he... um presented to them a message simply of judgment, five Hebrew words only, and he walked into the city and the entire city and one day repented. And so Jonah now realizes in chapter four, verse one, that God is being compassionate instead of judgmental or um, bringing his judgment on them. And so in verse one, he says, we read there, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're gracious and compassionate God. God, slow to the anger that I feel now, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And then he says in verse 3, Now, O Lord, this is how angry he is, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is stunningly angry. This is shockingly angry. This is stomping, mad, and deeply, deeply disturbed anger that he has. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Like, Do you have a reason to stand on? And if you remember from last week, Jonah didn't answer the question. He couldn't answer the question because he knew the right answer, but he wasn't really ready yet to acknowledge, you win, God, I lose. And so he doesn't answer. Instead, he walks away. And so he goes out and he sets up a shelter east of the city to see what would happen, as if God's going to change his mind. But he's angry, so mad. He goes up, sets up a shelter, and if you know the story, God plants a little uh, plant there. The seed grows up overnight, miracle grow, big plant, provides some shade, and the next morning then God sends a worm and eats the plant, and now it brings an east wind, and Joan is sitting there feeling extremely, extremely hot, extremely angry about the plant that is gone now, and here's what happens at the end of verse 8. He wanted to die again and and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. And then so, verse 9 God said to Jonah, Do you have any right? Do you have a right to be angry? Same question in verse 4, but this time he adds about the vine. So God is taking him from the global vision down to the specific focus. Like You can't answer me about the people. You should be really angry. but, but No, you, you can't answer me about them, but you can answer me about the vine. Let's just talk about the vine. And he said, yeah, I, I do. I'm angry enough to die about my little vine. So here's what we said last week, that anger reveals vision. That the, the anger that we feel, and you and I feel, reveals really the passions and the vision and the priorities of our heart. And so the things that make us angry really are a window into our soul of what's most important to us. And for Jonah, the thing that's most important to him, not the Ninevites, are you kidding me? This plant that I didn't do anything with, this thing is now gone. And so check out what happens next in verse 10. Because we have two characters set up in this story, God and Jonah. Jonah's response is anger. God's is very different. And so here's what God says now. This is where we pick up this week. Verse 10. 10 and then into 11. So in response to Jonah being so angry about the vine, he says, but the Lord said, you have been, here's an important word, concerned. If you have an NIV, it might be, um, you might say, uh, you know, you've been troubled if you have another version or you have taken pity or you have had compassion, depending on your translation. You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be troubled about that great city? Should I not have compassion on, take pity on, be concerned about that great city? And so in this, here's the amazing thing. In this, God takes the plant and he takes Nineveh and he sets them up as striking opposites of one another. And he says to Jonah, listen, Jonah, you've been concerned about this. Like You've taken compassion on the plant that you haven't done anything with. And he kind of says to him, Jonah, you're over here now with this plant. You've been concerned about it, but have you tended it? Have you taken care of it at all? It's almost like, Jonah, imagine what the gardener would feel like if the gardener was the one who was in your shoes. But you're not even the gardener. Like, I can understand if you took care of this thing for a long time, you'd be disappointed in the work you put in. You didn't do a thing. You were so angry. You have concern. You have compassion. You are troubled by. You take pity on this plant. And then he says, Jonah, how much more? I know how you feel about that, but how much more? Should I feel compassion on the city of Nineveh? as 120,000 people who can't know their right from the left. We're not sure what that statement means. It either means that those are children, 120,000 kids who still can't see the right and left, don't understand that yet. In that case, we're talking about maybe 600,000 people. I don't know if that's really what's happening. I think what he might be saying is using that as an idiom or a way to say these are people who are not yet able to make uh, wise, ethical, or moral decisions. Like They are lost is the way to put that. Like They can't figure out even their right from the left, even if there's only 120,000 people in that city. His point is we have a big city. And here's what he's doing. Here's why this is so important. He's saying, I... I'm the gardener of the city, Jonah. I planted the city. I, I put the people there. The people there, Jonah, are mine. I know you see them as your enemies. I know, Jonah... That they have acted extremely violently and immorally and amorally for a long time. I know that, Jonah. But listen, I am the gardener and I care for these people. Like the gardener would have cared for the plant that you care for and all you can care about is this and here's where I'm at. Here is what is shocking to Jonah. God isn't tolerating the people of Nineveh. They actually mean the world to him. God isn't tolerating them and in their wickedness waiting to destroy them. These people actually mean the world to God. Like the people who worship another God The people who have chosen immoral pathways. The people who worship the goddess of love and war. People who make all kinds of unethical, immoral decisions that as a follower of Yahweh you would look at and be disgusted by. And you'd prefer a righteous bolt from heaven to blow this place up. Jonah, I am the gardener of these people. These people are my children. Not in the sense of salvation yet, but in the sense of I made them. I put them there. Jonah, listen to me. I am not tolerating them, just waiting to destroy them. I don't get joy out of that. Jonah, I know you. When you look at these people, you see all that they're doing wrong. Jonah, I made them. I long for them to come back to me. They mean the world to me. I am the gardener who planted them, and you just want to see them destroyed. Jonah, you've seen what happens when things get destroyed with your plant. What do you think would happen if I, as the gardener, see this city destroyed? Look at your anger on a plant. What do you think would happen to me as a gardener of this city? Like, I made these people. I know that when you look at them, you only see the outside and what they do and what they believe and how they act. But listen, they don't see their right hand from their left. They don't know what's true yet. Jonah, I made them. Many of you have children. If you don't have children, you are a child. I think that covers us all. If you have a a child, let me add a little bit to this too. Some of you have children that you might say have walked away from values that you hold as a mom or dad. You've raised your child in a certain way, and they've moved on from the things that you even hold to be most important to you. It's a very painful time, I, I, I know that. But Let me ask you this. How do you feel when you learn that somebody does something to help your child? How do you feel toward that person? Do you feel a love and compassion? Do you feel loved and cared for as a parent in that time? And let me ask you, conversely, how do you feel as a parent when someone mistreats your child? How do you feel when a teacher doesn't give them the right opportunity or a manager or a boss doesn't give them the opportunity they need? How do you feel when somebody mistreats your child? And Here's what I'm saying. The human emotions we feel toward our children, can you imagine for a minute, How God feels to the people whom He has made. Listen, to the people whom He has made and put everywhere on this planet that that He has created. How do you you think He feels when we love the people whom He has made? And how do you think He would feel when we don't love and mistreat the people whom He has made? How do you feel as a parent? How do you feel as someone who has, quote unquote, created another life? Even if that person, even if that child of yours is totally rebellious and gives up everything you believe, how do you feel when someone else loves your child well? And how do you feel when they mistreat them? You know the answer to that question. You feel it intuitively, instinctively. We love when people love our children. And when they love our children, they love us vicariously. And here's what God is doing to Jonah, saying, Jonah, come on, buddy. I have made the very people that you have given yourself permission to hate for a long time. My compassion is wider than you realize. Here's some of the questions. We push this out to us. Does his compassion, let me push on this a little bit now as we draw this here to us. Does God's compassion extend to the pagan, the non-believer, and the atheist? Today, does God's compassion extend to the terrorist, to the bully, to the power hungry, to the sexually confused, to the LGBT community, to those stuck in pornography? Does his compassion extend to the addicted, to the desperate, and to the hopeless? Does it extend to those of every political party and to those of every race? Does his compassion extend, even beyond the list I can create, does it extend to every person? Every created being whom he has made, whom he as the gardener has put on this planet, regardless of creed, race, or anything else, does his compassion extend to? Does he tolerate or think the world of even those people who are most the vilest offender? Even the people who you and I would listen to and say, man, I can't even be around that language for so long. Man, I can't be around that lifestyle. you got to be kidding me. I hope my kids don't run into their kids. Like, ooh, come on, come on, come on. What is God saying to Jonah in the story? Are you kidding me? The Jonah, the book about Assyria and Nineveh, are you kidding me? A city of terrorists who worship a God who is anti-Yahweh, who in a day, again, are you kidding me, repented? To God? It is shocking. It is legitimately shocking and overwhelming and debilitating almost to understand the depth of the compassion of God to reach even those people who offend me, who bother me, who I have been raised to think differently than. And this is the story of the book of Jonah. And this is why it has no answer at the end. Like he asks the question, Jonah, can you please stand here and give me a reason why I should not have compassion on even the people who hate me, even the people who I've allowed to torture and torment my nation of Israel, who is to be my witness in this world. Like I've allowed them to do this, and listen to me, Jonah, I love them deeply and I want them to come. I'm not just waiting to blow them up, I care deeply. Like I'm just not tolerating. I think the world, I think the world, even those people who are far from me. Leslie Allen, in his commentary, he writes this. He says, A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. Those are big words, heavy words. Here's what he's saying. Listen, Jonah is in all of us. And that whimper we hear, that fight against the truth of the Scripture, is this insidious, this dangerous, critical, poisonous message of smug prejudice. And here's what that means. <laughs> I am more moral. I don't use those words. I don't drink that stuff. I don't smoke that stuff. I don't go with people like i don't do those things like i have a prejudice of a little bit of smugness like i deserve a little bit of the grace of god smugness this insidious voice in us this poisonous voice that's against the gospel of grace this empty traditionalism (laughs) hey god i've been faithful Like, let me just check off with you. Look, I've been at church 50 or 52 Sundays. Some people go places. I don't go. I mean, I just keep coming. I just keep coming. I keep showing up. Here's why I'm worthy and why people are not. Like, I have this peace, this exclusive solidarity. (laughs) We believe this together. We are called to be separate from, to be removed, and to be the holy people of God. In our smugness and our empty traditionalism. And there's that insidious voice of Jonah that says, I, can't, I cannot believe that God would love those people with such compassion. I cannot believe it. It is mind blowing. The question is left on the table should we not have compassion? God asks it should we not have compassion? So let me press on this a little bit. Let me push this in a little bit further, okay? A couple questions and then a statement if I can. A couple questions as we try to press this down into how we actually function day to day, okay? Let me ask you this. Who's right around me? Who's right around you that I don't really notice? That I've kind of given myself permission to not notice because their story doesn't really matter. Their background doesn't really matter. They work with me. They're in my neighborhood. I don't see them. I have a reason for not seeing them, not trying to avoid them. We just don't run across each other. But who is it that I am near who I just don't even notice? It's like they don't even exist. If they were gone, I would not even notice them. Is there somebody in your workplace at school, someone in your family who really is kind of shut out to the side and you know that? Is there someone around you who you need to connect with? Now, let me push this a little bit further. Who's right around me who I do notice but prefer to avoid? Who's right around me that I do notice but I prefer to avoid? That's pushing it a little bit further if I can. Like, who's right around me that I see? I notice. But man, I would not mind if they didn't know that I know that they, know, that they see me and you know all that thing. Like, I hope I don't see them and hope we don't run into each other and hope we don't have to have a conversation. Hope, hope, hope. Because I'm not really willing to forgive. I'm not really sure God's compassion extends to them. I mean, none of them, fine. Them, don't think so. Who's around me that I prefer, just prefer to avoid? Should I not have compassion? Now, let me ask this question too. Who do I need to start praying for? Who do I need to start praying for? This, this one's easy. Okay? This, this one, you don't even need to go talk to anybody. This is, God, help me soften my heart to the people around me. Who do I need to start praying for? Just give me one, two, three. I mean, who is it that I need to start praying for? That opportunities arise that I can extend this compassion. Now, let me ask this final question. How can I open my worldview? How can I open my worldview? What are the opportunities in front of me that I can take? to open my worldview, to see this world, and to see people as men and women made in the image of God, a creator God who has planted his creation all through this world with all different kinds of beliefs and all different kinds of persuasions. And that this great gardener, this creator, longs and thinks the world of his creation. How can I open my worldview? I'll say this. Next summer, the church is taking a trip to the Dominican Republic for a week to reach out to people in the community right in and around Puerto Plata area connected with our missionaries Kevin and Christine Lear. This will be a family-friendly trip. Some of you sitting here this morning listening have never been outside of the United States before. Let me encourage you to go. Let me encourage you that the excuses you've used to never go overseas, let me encourage you to rethink them. Let me encourage you to think that I know I have a built-in excuse because I think it might be too much money or my schedule won't allow it or whatever. Let me just encourage you to rethink that and to ask God, do you want me to be a part of something like this, to expand my worldview because if this immediately hits you with something you will never do, let me suggest to you that you are a perfect candidate for this kind of trip. Someone whose worldview can be grown and stretched by something like this. Cliff and Shirley Master heading to Burkina Faso next Sunday evening. We hope to get back to Burkina, maybe in 2017. We're looking to send a short-term team to Asia next year. Four people on an exploratory trip. We're going to probably be heading back to Maine. We hope to visit Daryl and Mary Whitmer. There are opportunities in and through the church in terms of missions to be involved, even locally. There was about a dozen of you almost who volunteered for something this past week to help prepare meals for the factory. And I know that didn't pan out from one, for one reason or another in terms of actual getting there. But I don't care about that. The point is you were willing to say, I will give up my Thursday night to go and do this. Like, I want to rub shoulders of people in our community. It's awesome. Like, that's not a small thing. That's a big deal. Many of you are going to take your families along. Those things are amazing. I want to tell you this. This is what happened to me this week. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Chester County to speak with the Constellation Network this past um, Wednesday, I believe it was. Wednesday or Thursday. Constellation Network is an organization that's attempting to bring churches together in Chester County in different ways. And they invited me to come share with them. And in the room were about 20 pastors from about 20 different churches in and around the Chester County area. And they asked me to share the story of Grace Point Church and how we're connected locally with different partners, the factory, with Peckwood Valley School District, with the townships and all that. They wanted to hear the story of what we've been doing. So for about 30 minutes, I shared our story. About 15 minutes, they asked questions about what's going on. And, and I will tell you this one. There was a, a strong dynamic in the room, very engaged. And when I was done, there was a strong, rousing ovation, not for me, but for the hope of what could be with the church that believes this kind of thing is possible. And so I'm standing there thinking, I am so proud what Grace Point Church is doing. I am so proud of the willingness of our people to think about the mission of the church in creative ways. I am so proud of the vision and the the courage that you show regularly to support and be a part of and encourage and nurture our push into our community It is a true blessing. I am so proud to be a part of this. Here's what I want for us. I want this final question in the book of Jonah. Should we not have compassion? To be like a splinter that sticks in your brain and in my heart. As I stand here, in my limited worldview, and I look at the people around me with my limited presence, my limited knowledge, my limited love, my limited energy, my limited margins, and I encounter a God over here who is omniscient, who is all-knowing, who all defines himself as love, and he asks me the question, should I not have compassion? On everybody, that I have, on everybody that I have made. On everybody that I have made. Should I not have compassion? It's almost as if this verse in the Bible is actually true. And say it with me if you know it. I memorized it, I think, in the King James Version. It's been so long ago that I memorized it that I may not even be able to tell you which version I know. But say it with me if you know it when you catch on. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's almost like that verse is actually true. Like it's almost like God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who ever believes in him shall be saved it's almost it's almost like god is reaching down and asking again should we not have compassion to bring people back to the god who's created them through the love of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So, as we leave this book of Jonah, the question I hope will never leave you and will never leave me, and I hope will guide us as a church, should I not have compassion on the people that God has made? I pray that God will give us courage and vision to never lose sight of that. Will you pray with me? our good God and Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we serve a God who is a God of love. Not just a hallmark, weak-willed, reactive, passive, whitewashed love, but a strong, courageous, visionary, sacrificial, intentional God of love whose love means something, whose love means so much that He sacrificed His only Son on the cross for us that we may come to believe and to know and relate to the very God who has created us and planted us here on this planet. Father, I pray that You would keep our vision strong, keep our hearts in tune, Keep our priorities in line. And Father, may the graciousness that you have, the slowness to anger, the abundance of love that you show, may that be ours in increasing measure as we seek here in this community to be a transforming presence in the town square, to reach to places with the good news, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that can transform this place. Father, give us courage and give us a vision to love and to love well. We thank you that you are a good, good Father who longs for his children to come and know him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.